God is good. And all the time. If you're new to Multination, I'm Mason. I'm the pastor here, and you will get used to me. <laughs> Someone told me, uh, asked me this week, aren't you excited? I hear about your churches on YouTube and Facebook, and now on all of these different podcast platforms, you must be excited to have your sermons. And I would respond by saying yes and no. Yes, I'm excited that God's word is reaching people. In fact, there are people that listen to our services and watch our services from around the world. But I'm also quite horrified that everything I say <laughs> could be listened to and re-listened to and, and that if I say anything wrong, then it's forever. You know, because I, I started preaching when I was 15 years old. And back then, for the first 10 or more years of preaching, if you said it in the sermon, that was it. It was done. <laughs> and no one could go back and say, wait a minute, what did he say? I mean, back then, we did not even have internet in my home. So, uh, and I, I, that wasn't that long ago, but it was a long time ago, technology-wise. And so I think about that. So I ask that you pray for me. Pray that I not be uh, so concerned about that or so worried or so nervous. People always don't believe me when I tell them this is a nervous thing to do. Not because I'm afraid of you, but because of the awesome responsibility of sharing God's word. So please pray with me. Lord, help us. May we all move out of your way. Barriers may be removed from our hearts and our minds so that we may hear. Remove the barriers from our ears so that we can hear rightly. Remove the barriers from my lips that I might speak truthfully. May your word overwhelm us. May it convict us and bring us joy. May it inspire us and correct us and give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. About uh, 12 or 13 years ago, I attended the first International Baptist Convention uh, or my first International Baptist Convention men's retreat in Link, Switzerland. They do it every year in January. It's a beautiful place. If you've ever been to Switzerland, you know it's beautiful. But for me, it's especially beautiful in winter with everything is kind of like the movie Frozen. It's all crystal and, and shiny and bright and, and beautiful. And I love the snow. And I am not a skier, though. Most of the men who go, they ski. So if you, I'm not the only one who doesn't ski, but I'm one of a few. I prefer to just wander, to wander around, to go on a nice hike, to, to find that beautiful view. And, and I was there that first time with a dear friend of mine, a guy named Lad, who also does not ski. And so we had this big plan. We had gotten the map for the area, and we found a trail that would lead us to this beautiful view. It was supposed to be spectacular. 
in summer. <laughs> in winter, it's a bit difficult to get there. Uh, but it started out so easy as we followed the path, the trail. Every trail just about in Europe, just like in the U.S. and mostly around the world, has a symbol for you to follow. They call it the blaze. You could go for a walk just not far from here, the Dreibergenweg. It's got a, a, a little white diamond with a picture of a castle tower and the number three in it. And you know as long as you're following those blazes, you're on the trail. And so we're following the blazes. It's easy, just a big blue circle. And it starts out, I thought to myself, I thought it was supposed to be hard to hike in the Alps in winter, but it was so easy. We walked with ease, and our feet were covered by nice, big, warm snow boots, and, and we walked along until we got to a certain point where we suddenly realized why it was so easy. There probably had been 20 people before us who had walked to that same point. They packed down the snow till it was hard and the path was wide and the path was easy. But there became a point where apparently the locals knew to stop. And past that point, the snow was not packed down. It was not clear and level the path was not wide and not easy. It was all just fresh, new snow. And so Lad and I decided we could still see those symbols, the blaze, the trail does go this way. We can see it. So why don't we just keep going? And immediately, as our feet got heavy, and they began packed with ice, and we began to have to work every step was an effort. Every step was almost painful. It was exhausting. We eventually came up with a system. He would walk for about five minutes in front, and then I would walk for five minutes in front, and we would piggyback, or as we say in the U.S., leapfrog, <laughs> jumping over one another, taking turns, breaking through the fresh, untrodden snow, unpathed snow. And when we finally got to our destination, it was beautiful. Lad pulled out a thermos of hot tea and he poured a cup for himself and one for me and we gave a little toast, a cheers, and he said something and all suddenly opened up something in my mind. He said, thank God for the trailblazers. Do you know what a trailblazer is? A trailblazer is that person who goes out before you and cuts down all of the weeds and moves all of the broken branches and stomps down the snow and makes the path clear and easy. They set the direction of the path. Why? So that everyone after them it will be easier for. It will be clearer. It won't be so, so strange and so scary. It won't be so exhausting and tiring. Trailblazers pave the way so that everyone else after them will have an easier go of it. And I thought about how thankful I was for the people who had gone before us on that trail, but likewise, how blessed 
I am with the people who've gone before me in faith. Think in your own life. Who are those faithful Christians who are the trailblazers for your faith? Not one of us, none of us in this room came to Jesus on our own. Somebody paved the way. Somebody made it easier for us than it was for them. And, and on and on, all the way back to Jesus, we can travel. Someone wrote this letter to Timothy that we're going to read. A guy named Paul. Somebody preserved that letter. Somebody copied it and recopied it and preserved it throughout the ages so that we could sit here and read it today. Maybe those trailblazers were for you a, a grandmother or a mother or father or perhaps a pastor who led you to Christ or a deacon or elder or a leader of the church. But you can picture their, their face in your mind. They've gone on now. They're no longer with you. They've gone to be with the Lord. That's what All Saints Day is about for Protestant Christians, evangelical Christians. It was just this past Tuesday. We celebrate it today in many churches around the world. But we have to clarify what is a saint. It's not someone who passed a, a test and they ticked all the boxes. It's not someone who is better than the rest of us. A saint, according to the New Testament, is every single person who believes has received the grace of Christ. Their sins are no more, and they are redeemed in Christ and will forever be in Christ. And when they die, they will be in the kingdom forever. So if you're a saint, raise your hand. I see some people that need to put their hands up. <laughs> if you're a believer and you are saved, you're a saint. All Saints Day means we celebrate all the people who have gone before us. And so while you're thinking of that, that person's name, who was the saint in your life, who paved the way for you, turn with me to 2 Timothy, if you will, chapter 1. And we find in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writing a letter to this young believer who has gone through some persecution or some trials. He's gotten a little bit downhearted, perhaps. He needs some encouragement. He needs to be lifted up. Don't you sometimes need someone just to encourage you and lift you up and remind you why you're doing what you are doing? So in first. Chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 3, Paul writes this to the, young, to the young man. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives 
in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. What Paul reminds Timothy, he reminds us of as well, that when we think back on our life, there are those people that invested in you, shared with you, taught you, encouraged you, led you and guided you. For Timothy, it was these two powerful women of faith that God placed in his life who were leaders in the church and in this new movement of Christianity. And for Lois and Eunice, there was a lot that was new and hard and difficult. There was a lot that they had to overcome and figure out. They are doing this. They are not just following the gospel. They're doing the gospel as Paul is preaching it, as it is being written down, as it has been being discovered in communities. They had it harder than Timothy. That's the subtext. If there were subtitles to this, he would say, you know, your mom and your grandma had it harder, Tim. But I know that that faith that was in those two women is now in you. And then he goes on to say that there's, there's a point to this he says, for this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God, to reignite it, to relight the fire of faith in your heart, the fire and the passion for Christ in your life. When you stop to think about those people who are no longer with us, but had an impact on you, when you stop to think about them, what happens in your heart? Does it not lift you up? Does it not make you think, wow, how much of an influence they were? What an example they set. Whether it be a pastor, a, a leader, an elder, a teacher, a parent, a friend. When we think about those who are no longer with us, our hearts are rekindled. Our passions are rekindled. But today is a day where even more so we think not only the sweet, warm thoughts about family and friends, but we think about those who gave their very lives so that we might be here. For these trailblazers, they paved the way in blood. Not someone else's blood like a warrior, but in their own blood as a martyr. That's what a martyr is. It's someone who gives their life for the faith. But they don't do it just to be stubborn and say, no, I'm not going to change. They do it as a witness. And that by their blood, our hearts are inspired. And whatever persecution or challenges we are facing in our own faith suddenly seems to be a lot less important in light of the martyrs. You can go to almost any cathedral or major church in Europe and you will see statues or great paintings of, of people and they're holding 
different things in their hands. Some might be holding a sword. One might be holding a hammer or a rock. Or one looks like he's holding his face in his hands. And maybe you're not sure what that is. It's a symbol of the apostles who every single one gave their life as martyrs. Even Paul. I remember going to Paul's prison in Rome and seeing this little hole in the ground and thinking about how much he must have suffered. And then at the end of his life, he gave his very last breath for you. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what every martyr has on their mind. They are the trailblazers that, that make faith possible for generations to come. And you know what? We've learned recently that martyrs are not ancient history, are they? Martyrdom is not something in the distant past. There are people today who are living martyrs who are suffering and sacrificing on the hope and on the prayer that the next generation maybe will continue to hear the gospel in their land, that the next generation will perhaps even have the freedom to preach Jesus in the streets. And they are giving their very lives for that in places all over the world today. Today is also persecuted church Sunday. We pause to remember those living martyrs as well. Living or dead, there are people that God has placed in our lives, whether directly or indirectly. Maybe we only read about them on the internet or hear their stories in videos on YouTube, but, but they are in our lives, placed there to rekindle us to inspire us. This table that we come to today, it's the Lord's table. And it reminds us of the one who was the first trailblazer who gave his life, his blood, his flesh to pave the way to the kingdom for all of us. He did not have nice, warm, dry snow boots like I did, but there were sandals upon his feet as he walked in the dust of the desert, as he lived as a pauper, a peasant, one with no place even to lay his head. There was no rucksack upon his back, but there was a crown of thorns upon his brow, piercing the flesh the blood running down, but all that he could see was you. That you might be here on this moment to celebrate in the spirit of the living God and to remember. Paul said that may your faith be rekindled as you remember those who have gone before you. As you share in this meal with us today, we invite you to think about that very fact of all those who've gone before you. We call this communion for a reason. Yes, we are in communion with God, but we are also saying that by God's grace and through the blood of Christ,
we are in communion with all the saints always throughout time. That's an incredible, mind-blowing thought. That we are linked by the Holy Spirit to every believer who's gone before us, and we will be linked to every believer who comes after us. And right now, as you take this bread and this cup, all of heaven is with us in this moment, cheering us on a great cloud of witnesses. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we prepare to receive these symbols of the body and blood of Jesus, your Son, Lord, indeed, may our hearts be rekindled, our faith renewed, that we may leave here bold and impassioned, and that we might leave here better than as we came. In Jesus' precious name.